Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical stuff, the classical world, old books, new, nope, nothing new, Um, (laughs) sometimes music, sometimes architecture, philosophy, theology, classical education, uh, and we are three guys who like that stuff. My name is Graham Donaldson, and I am with Thomas Magby. Hello. And AJ Hannenberg. That's me. And today... Uh, we are taking a, a sharp right-hand turn, and we are talking about farm animals, farm animals. specifically donkeys. That's exactly right. So, uh, Megby, as our resident um, expert in farm animals, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, please teach us about the ways of the donkey. Okay, so the donkey is a domesticated member of the horse family Equidae, the wild ancestor of the okay. donkey. This is amazing. Are donkeys, wait, are donkeys the ones that can't have other donkeys? That's what I thought was true. I'm trying to get to that part. Donkeys can't have donkeys. I'm also trying to read the donkey Wikipedia page without saying the butt word. And it's, um, I'm having to skip over lots of um, (laughs) sentences. The donkey has been used as a working animal. How many, quiz show, how many, how many years has the donkey been? Or is it a mule? Maybe mules can't have. Yeah. I think it's a mule. mule. I think a mule is like uh, what a donkey donkey and a horse. Have a bit, have a kid. It's a mule. Is that it? A female horse and a male donkey have a mule. There you go. And that mule cannot that propagate mules cannot future have mules. babies of their own. Oh man, they are sterile. Yeah. Okay. Um, huh. How long have donkeys been in use as working animals? Oh my word. Like since twenty years. Four thousand BC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's at least five thousand years. Oh man, I'm really committed to this bit. So there's I feel donkeys. Like, wait, that's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. So five thousand years. They're just throwing out a number oh, at that point because okay. that's like. So that's yeah. where history begins. So like, you know, when that started, I'll tell you when there donkeys there for when sure. history started, yeah. when, as, as far back as we know. How many donkeys. donkeys are there in the world? But today is a specific donkey named Hote. Nice try. How many donkeys are there in the world? Uh, how in the world would they know? Uh, I don't There's no source on is this. Either, is there a so. donkey registry? <laughs> like, exactly right. When I, if I'm a farmer and uh-huh. I have a new donkey, I'm like, well, better call <laughs> the donkey registry. The donkey. How right. do they know? I call beef. It's like that same... Statistic about people swallowing spiders. Yeah, the eight spiders a year thing. Yeah, I've, I, I've brought that up, I think, before that I think that's total hogwash. Why? I regret bringing up the donkey joke. Oh, no, no, I'm going to be committed. Look, <laughs> we, we have another hour of me reading the Wikipedia page. Oh, I hope no. you're proud of yourself, Graham. <laughs> but yeah, like, what how do I they done? know how many spiders people swallow in a year? They study it. How? They watch all of us every night. Or well, like, even you if they... You got a smartphone, don't you? They like watch one person <laughs> while they sleep. Wasn't your smartphone And that person swallows a few spiders. Yep. Like, I would just be worried about the cleanliness of the lab. That's funny. Have you seen the CGP grade video where he talks about the spider eating thing? And he's like, uh, you know, the statistic is that um, a person eats eight spiders every year. And he goes, no, that's totally false. He goes, most people don't eat any spiders, but one person has a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> one person's just munching. They like sleepwalk yeah, and just exactly. find spider nests and shallow holes. This is thing. terrifying. Um, 40 million donkeys was the correct answer. So um, Correct. Yeah, in quotes. Nailed it. Okay. Uh, yeah, we are actually talking about Don Quixote today. So Oof. anyway, <laughs> instead of me reading that fascinating Wikipedia page to all of you. Uh, do you all have any background with this book? Have you read it? What's your... I tried my best and got bored. I've never what? read it. It's true. I started and it seemed like like it seemed like there was no real thread to it. There's not. And, and granted, I just did a podcast where there seemed to be no thread, <laughs> real to, thread it. to it. Yeah. Is there not enough violence in this book for you? Is yeah. That, there's okay, not good. enough talking severed heads and bird speak and dragon hearts. And I just... It's I a sitcom, right? Don Quixote? You're, you're, you're I don't know. To the punchline. I got yeah, bored because it didn't correct. seem like anything. It was going anywhere. Is it like the Seinfeld of the book world? Oh my like gosh. Like it's about nothing? Yes, it's, yes, absolutely. That's why it's perfect. 
Uh, Graham, have you read this book before? I've never watched an episode of Seinfeld. I'm serious. <laughs> is that actually true? I'm serious. serious. I never My have. dude, we have some work to do. To do. Is that haven't you also not seen Terminator or something? I haven't seen Terminator 2. Mm, oh my gosh. I watched the first one. And? Yeah, it was all right. Second one's better. Yeah. And all of the ones after that are trash, correct? I don't know what to what you refer. <laughs> there are no movies after yeah. Terminator 2. That's like... Uh, What's, what, are, what are all the memes on Twitter that are like, I'm going to tell my children there are only two Godfather movies? Like, and one Matrix film. And one Matrix film. Yeah, I'm okay with all of this. Matrix 4 is coming out. Is that true? Yeah. Is it supposed to be good? They're filming it. Uh, is Keanu Reeves in it? <laughs> Bill and Ted 3 just came out. Yeah, I saw that. Just That's came out. Yeah, I don't understand. I watched it. It was great. Was it good? I, I really When you say it. great, do you mean Bill and Ted great or do you mean like actual great? Bill and Ted great. Okay, yeah, that's acceptable. Okay, uh, speaking of Bill and Ted, we're going to be talking about... They don't They don't meet Don Quixote. They don't meet Cervantes. <laughs> do they? I don't, anyway, I don't remember that first movie very well. Um, okay, don't. so we are going to be talking about Don Quixote. It is a book, and it's very good. So just you all shared a little bit of your background with this. Um, my first exposure to Don Quixote was in high school. I, um, I remember being so excited to... Uh, um, read Don Quixote in its original Spanish. Um, so this was a part of Spanish five at the school at, um, I'm sure this is at most public schools, but I remember being so excited to finally get to the point where like my knowledge of the Spanish language would be so good that I would be ready for Don Quixote. And, and, you know, studied for, you know, four years, made it into Spanish five, got there, did not understand a word of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally made no sense to me. I remember the teacher reading through it and there's a joke about, um, Don Quixote's name in the first chapter about how it sounds a lot like cheesecake, which is the word quejada. And I just remember my teacher just like giggling to herself and I'm like, literally no idea what's going on here. So this is great. (laughs) Um, so had a horrible first experience with it. Um, because I mean, uh, also I was a pretty lazy student, so I didn't put in the work to learn very much about it. But, um, yeah, I imagine it's a similar experience uh, to, um, Sarah studied Italian and, um, college and still keeps up with it. And so when she tries to read like Dante, it's a different Italian than the one that is spoken now in the same way. This is, it's like a, it's an older Spanish. It's from the 1600s. So it's just a very different language. So that was a bummer. So I think I read like the first two chapters as a part of that class and then stopped that. Uh, eventually I came back to the book through, um, Susan Weisbauer's book, the well-educated mind, is this a book that you all have any... Have you all read this one before? The Well-Educated Mind? Uh, mm, Do you have any affiliation or... Uh, I mean... Have you read anything by Susan Weisbauer, I yeah, guess? Yeah, she's come to the school to talk. Yep. Um, and The Well-Educated Child, is that what it's called? The Well-Trained Mind. The Well-Trained Mind. I've read The Well-Trained Mind. I don't understand. This feels like a distinction without a difference in the title. Educated versus trained? Yeah. So the... I have not read Well-Trained Mind. This one is... The subtitle is a guide to the classical education you never had. The format is to How go presumptuous. I mean, of all people to teach on this, I think she's qualified. Um, oh, presumptuous Who's to, to say, say that I never have never had a classical education. <laughs> it's I'm, true. Though. I will. Do you ask yeah, um, <laughs> So it, there's a little bit of setup in the beginning, which is essentially equivalent to Mortimer Adler's how to read a book. And then she goes into these different sections that are basically groupings of books recommend recommended around a common theme. Uh, the first set of books around a theme is the theme of uh, a journey, taking a journey. And so it starts with Don Quixote and it ends with uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Oh. So quite, quite bookends to have there. Um, and there are many oh. that are <laughs> in between. Um, so that that's, book is a bummer. Sure. Well, I mean, 
Carry the flame, man. Carry the flame. I, I never thought of Cormac McCarthy as like a sprightly, happy-go-lucky yeah, yeah, yeah. Oster. I feel like Blood I mean, Meridian doesn't Blood, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Blood Meridian does not really like it. It's not really a party. It gets you, yeah. You're not happy by the end of that book. Or in the middle of the book. is something that happens nowhere in yeah. that book. Um, so, but you know, Carry the Flame is kind of a, I don't know. There's something to that. Anyway, so, uh, you know, this is when I first started at Veritas. I think I read this book and I was like, I'm going to read through every one of these book, these, uh, book lists. I'm going to... Um, follow all these themes like it's gonna be awesome and look i made at it you yeah. look at you uh well st- stick with me because i made it halfway through the first book on the first list and oh. i still haven't finished it so anyway <laughs> so i mean <laughs> sorry well welcome to what was the first book can i ask this is don quixote yeah so oh, really yeah don quixote is the first book on the first list well of, welcome to the intellectual life magby uh i mean yes it is uh, where you read half a book and you tell get, everyone else that you read the whole <laughs> thing I no it's where you, you but, get bogged yeah. down you realize okay. like yep. Yep. i've made a terrible mistake uh, uh, terrible but <laughs> but i enjoyed that mistake i guess is what i'm saying uh so don quixote is like a thousand pages so uh if again you've probably seen this book before and been like super intimidated mm-hmm. at it because it's so long and i'm here to tell you that you should not be intimidated uh, okay. at it and it's great and everyone should read it so i'm nine minutes in that's my entire no that th- thank you for coming to my ted talk. so th- you were asking like what do we know about it the, oh, sure. the yeah. only thing that i've heard people talk about it is that it is like a, a book that bridges the middle, the end of the Middle Ages to sort of more of a renaissance in Spain. So you've got this character that's trying to hold on to the old ways uh-huh. and he's coming up against the new ways. Is that fair? Sure. You are giving it too much credit, oh, which okay. is great. Um, <laughs> this is also, this, uh, um, I've had a, a few instances that have made me think I'm, I'm leaving Graham land and moving to AJ land because, um, I read, T.S. Eliot over the summer and hated it. Um, Welcome. Christianity nice and Culture here. and um, his book of poetry. You didn't like Christianity and Culture? No. no. Um, but maybe it's just because I'm dumb. But I just... It uh, didn't make you want to be like a like a smarmy British Anglican? I'm already... <laughs> I'm a smarmy American Anglican, so I got that going for me. Um, I have so many questions. <laughs> Eliot did this annoying... Anyway, this is not an Eliot episode, but he would do this annoying thing where he would like have an... A, a chapter that makes no sense and then the opening paragraph of the next of the next chapter is okay so what i said in the last chapter was this and i'm like well just give me that one paragraph that's all i needed <laughs> oh that's infuriating. Um, and then his uh I, um graham is the one who made the the book list for the summer so i can pin all of this on you but there was also there's a, a requirement on there to read a book of poetry of yes a, what did you read t.s Eliot, of course oh, why because I'm an idiot oh. and um, <laughs> uh, the T.S. Eliot book of poetry has like four or five poems that are in French. And I think I comprehended them about as much as the ones that were in English. So it was anyway. <laughs> should have so, done out and should have, uh, you recommended that even. So that's on me anyway. They're, they're poem poets. I love. So, so I had those things happen. And then um, in trying to prepare for an episode, you know, when people talk about Don Quixote, it's like, you know, the first, um, the first novel or, um, mm. or the, the first novel that like we still have, there might've been some before that, um, or what you're talking about. It's like this confluence of these great cultural forces. Um, but when you actually read it, it's like, it's a dumb, um, buddy, it's not buddy cops, but like, it's a dumb buddy comedy. It's a bromance. It's a bromance story essentially, um, with an idiot as the main character and like a really smart kind of second in command guy. Um, and it does not take itself seriously at all. And if you read any like meaning into this book, you're really dumb. Like it's, it's just a bunch of really funny stories. And anyway, as I was reading, I'm like, listen, AJ would love this book. So I'm anyway, I'm bummed so to hear why, AJ, why didn't you like it? Maybe, yeah, that's my maybe question. you read a, trans- a bad translation. It's, it's, it's very it's, possible it's, the it's, translation was bad. Sure. They didn't realize it was funny. That was something you were I'm saying so before. Yeah, that's one of our four points for today. Oh, so, I, I also think I attempted <laughs> okay. it when I was. Do you want the book? I can. I'm less okay. developed. 
Like three years ago. That's fair. I don't know. Like before you hit puberty? Like <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> he's, oh, he's, he's like 18 right now. Yeah, great. Perfect. Uh, if you could talk like that for the rest of this. Tell me If I committed to the donkey book or the donkey bit, you need to commit to the adolescence bit. So do it. Okay. So I'll talk a little bit about the guy who wrote this book, uh, Cervantes. It's, um, yeah. And then we'll go into a little bit of the overview of the book. Um, I've already said this. I've, or, I've, I've only read through the first part of the book. It's published in, um, I guess for people who've actually read this book, I've read about half of the book is what I'm trying to say. The first part is split into like five other parts. I'm saying I've read those first five parts. So get at me. Um, so, um, do y'all know anything about Miguel de, de Cervantes? Do not. He's a dude. He's Spanish. Born, Spanish dude, uh, born around 1547, but this is among, uh, this is, I guess, similar to Shakespeare. We don't really know when Cervantes was born. Um, cause he wasn't an important dude. He's the, fourth kid out of seven he's so like literally the middlest of kids of this family of seven um and didn't have a lot interesting happen in his life for a really long time he um that sounds real nice actually to just be a dude yeah just have like a life where not a lot just hanging out well i say not a lot happens if you have an interesting life chances are (laughs) things will go poorly yeah um you know i say he has a boring life but his first like professional job is to be a soldier which i guess is oh, i mean it's pretty oh, cool i think he gets shot in the hand at some Ooh, point wolf. um he's imprisoned while trying to return home from his soldiering duties and he is a prisoner of war for five years um kind of a gap of not knowing what happens he becomes a purchasing agent for the government which sounds so boring um in 1592 he becomes a tax collector still has not really done a whole lot of significance he's still just kind of a guy um and but uh, eventually starts to writing this story, um, the story about this guy, Don Quixote, who we will talk about in a second. He will eventually publish part one in 1605. Uh, he publishes part two in 1615. And whenever you see the giant, like thousand page Don Quixote, it's, it's those two parts are what you're seeing. Uh, and then he would go on to die in 1616. So he dies the year after he publishes the second part of his magnum opus. Hmm. Right. Um, it's thought that he died from diabetes, um, which was, I mean, incurable. They didn't have a, or a untreatable, I guess is the way to put that. And there's, there's this whole thing of, um, his remains were lost for a while. Uh, the, the place where his bones were buried got renovated in 1673. His bones were lost and they actually just found them in 2015. So Whoa, in 2015, how yeah, do they know Yeah, uh, that thing about the hand being shot? And I think he has a oh. rib injury from his time in, um, while he was a prisoner for five years, he tried to escape a bunch of times. And I think he got hurt during that. Anyway, they, um, when they found, I take the, it back about his, like, I, I guess it's kind of interesting, but anyway, all this, uh, um, uh, reading the story. I don't know how you all do prep. I, I way over prepare on the things that don't matter and then way under prepare for everything else. But to read the story of the archaeologist as they find prep. the bones, they see <laughs> they see the crack in the bone and realize this is Don Quixote. It's just this moment of silence uh, as they realize what they found. Um, Where'd anyway, they find it? Like if it was, you're if you're renovating a place, would they do the throw the bones in the trash and they had to look in the kind of? It's, it's not the trash necessarily, but there are like these alcoves essentially in the. Um, it's not a monastery, I guess. No, what's it called for? Uh, it's a convent, I guess. Um, Huh. I think that's right. Um, and essentially there are these little alcoves where they were put in. So not the main place where the bones go, but kind of off to the side. And they sure. were 
they thought that they thought it was unmarked, but when they used, I don't know what archaeologists use, but it had um, um, MC uh, Miguel de Cervantes mm, on QR the, code, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, on the front, and that's gotta hold they, your phone. Cervantes. Real, <laughs> so, wow, it's him. have to phone it real, real steady. Yeah, 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 that was the real problem is that they were just rushed too much. Yeah, <laughs> early um, Nokia's were terrible. QR <laughs> just codes. the worst. Yeah, those early uh, sixteen, sixteen Nokia's were the worst. Um, so he was sturdy in, though. So he was in body overflow, like bones overflow in the kind of. Yeah. But, uh, well, actually, that's that's super true because he was um, buried there with the bones of his wife, um, and I forget if I know he has one. He had one daughter, and I don't know if her bones were there too. But there were many bones that were there. Mm-hmm. But among them were Cervantes's. Um, so anyway, that's that's the dude himself. Um, so just kind of a guy um, who happened to write this incredible um, novel. Uh, this is a, a weird thing about him. Um, there's another famous person who's a, who's alive during this time, a Mr. Bill Shakespeare. Um, and they both died on the same day. They both died. Uh, wait for it. They either both died on April 22nd or one is on April 22nd and one is on April 23rd. Crazy. I will further complicate this by saying that um, uh, Spain and England were on different calendars. So they didn't actually die on the same day, but they died on the same date. Is that a weird thing? Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, they died around the same date in the same year. Do you, like crazy? Yeah, I've been on the same date with a girl, and we we're on different calendars. <laughs> but she's ten days away. Time. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so April twenty second, sixteen sixteen is when he dies. That part we know. And yeah, he didn't make a ton of money off this book, and it wasn't really super popular until after he died, which seems like the story of most authors, which is a bummer. That's why I don't feel bad when no one bought my first book. Did you actually publish a book? No. Please publish a book. But I feel like... I would read your book. That's a, that's a fun little attitude to keep. If you're like constantly failing, you're like, yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm probably great. I'm probably great. <laughs> Gotta be famous. Gotta be confident People just that. don't know. I'm okay with that. I would read both of y'all's books. I would review y'all's books maybe favorably oh. on this podcast if you did that. can't imagine a book I wrote would be... I would be like so rambly and... <laughs> I mean, kind of like my podcast episodes. Is that? Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So what is this book about? So we will only cover the briefest of um, intro to this uh, material. We'll talk a little bit about, I guess, the setting. We'll talk about the point you were talking about, Graham, of like this being an important book. And so then, it's all stories. Yes. It's and a, they are they and you have this recurring characters. Yep. Do you have any recurring characters besides Don Quixote and his buddy? What's his name? Sancho, Sancho Panza, which I Pancho? think means Sancho? San- Sancho Panza, Sancho. which I believe means holy belly or some version of that. Hmm. Um, they are the, I mean, Rocinante, his horse is also Rocinante. kind of in a weird way, a recurring character, very much has a personality. Um, and there's some that are common to different chapters, but there are like 700 characters in this mm-hmm. book. So oh, it, yowzer. Yeah. So 700 characters in a thousand pages, like you're moving pretty fast through yeah. these characters. Um, <laughs> And it sounds nothing like my poetic Edda episodes. <laughs> thousand actually, characters moving way too fast. Except they don't all die in this one. It's it's much more lighthearted <laughs> than that. So fewer birds. Um, I'm trying to think. Give There's me an of, example of like a typical story. Oh, uh, you have me jumping around. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, the most famous story is um, Don Quixote comes upon a set of windmills. Mm-hmm. I was planning. You have me off. Um, Sorry. No, it's fine. Comes upon a set of windmills. Um, he sees them and thinks that a magician has, um, or I'm sorry, rather, uh, sees them and what he sees is not windmills, but he sees giants. Mm-hmm. So he goes and he charges after them, runs into one of these windmills. His lance, I mean, he breaks everything. He breaks his lance. He um, falls off his horse. He then, almost by the shock of him running directly into a like giant windmill, looks up and sees, oh, these are windmills, and then says to Sancho Panza, 
oh, um, some great uh, magician has turned these giants into windmills. Right. So he sees a thing clearly, but has this like made up story of what has actually happened. Um, we'll cover, we'll, we'll talk about another one of his stories in a second, um, tied in with kind of the translation thing before we get into like, well, I've already told it, whatever. Um, who is this Don Quixote character? Um, Graham, did you say this at the beginning of the recording or were you saying this beforehand? Who, who is this Don Quixote fellow? He's someone who thinks he's a knight, right? Or he is a knight. Ooh. Is that, is he, is he a knight? I don't know. That's all I know about him. That's fine. He calls He's him, old. He's an old man. He is an, yeah, that's, uh, he's in his fifties, I believe. Does that an old man make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, he is in his fifties. He, um, he is a gentleman, I guess is the way to put it. He's a, um, there's like this class of people. I'm more familiar with it in England uh, around the same time, maybe a little later where they have an income that comes off of their property, but they don't, do very much so like a man of leisure sounds great yeah i guess um he is one of these people so he doesn't work because he doesn't have to he has money um coming in we talked about this a long time ago most often that's from the property you have there's a rent that is paid from people that use your land they pay you that money huh um so you don't still exist um you can (laughs) own land yeah sure and rent it out it's not as prevalent as it was 500 years ago Hmm. Um, so he lives off of that money and doesn't do very much and gets into this bad habit of reading stories about knights. Um, it's like Ivanhoe. Uh, yeah, but he, uh, the the ones that they actually point to are like Spanish-specific knights. So I don't like, it's not in our same cultural background, I guess I would say. Um, and also, most of them aren't famous enough to have lasted to today. Like, um, so the romantic tales of the troubadours. Yes, exactly. Um, so like... Um, also, his sentences are very long, so it's always very hard to find the beginning. Uh, now, you must understand that during his idle moments, which accounted for most of the year, this Hidalgo took to reading books of chivalry with such relish and enthusiasm that he almost forgot about his hunting and even running his property, and his foolish curiosity reached such extremes that he sold acres of arable land to buy these books of chivalry <laughs> and took home as many of them as he could find. He liked none of them, this is still the same sentence, he liked none of them so much as those by the famous Feliciano de Silva, because the brilliance of the prose and all the intricate language seemed a treasure to him. Never more so, oh, this is going on so long, um, but the gag there is that Feliciano de Silva is a real author who he was like a hack like wrote trashy oh really yeah it was so, like 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 airport novels yes the equivalent of that exactly so um <laughs> he quotes um this is the ones you buy at the airport yeah no no that was spot on it's the, like jack Steele is a spy um he quotes from this feliciano fellow um this is a quote from one of his books i believe this is an actual quote the reason for the unreason to which my reason is subjected so weakens my reason that i have reason to complain of your beauty uh the lofty heavens uh, which with their stars divinely fortify you in your divinity and make you meritorious of the merits merited by your greatness. That's anyway. AJ, are, how did you not like this? This, this is, is right this up is, your it's alley. It's really funny. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, like so this. this is, so he reads this and um, what event, oh, um, in short, our Hidalgo was soon so absorbed in these books that his nights were spent reading from dusk till dawn and his days from dawn till dusk until the lack of sleep and the excess of reading withered his brain and he went mad. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he read in his books in these books took possession of his imagination. So he, I mean, he been there. Yeah, I mean, his his. I, gonna say, I see some of those symptoms in people walking around our school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're talking about the three of us right now, right? Um, so his brain is straight up withered by reading books, and he begins to think of himself as a character in these books. He thinks that he is a knight, and sounds about right. That sounds about right. Um, so him realizing that he is a knight means that he has to 
uh, find a squire, which eventually he, he will find Sancho Panza, who um, is just like a peasant dude from around town. Who's who the running gag is that he's smarter than Don Quixote. Um, Don Quixote realizes he needs a woman to be fighting for the honor of. That's where Dulcinea comes from. Um, I believe Dulcinea never actually appears in the book. Um, so he talks about this woman who he never actually um, talks to. And as far as we know, does not know that Don Quixote like cares about her or wasn't she just like some peasant girl? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, th- um, no one brought this up as their background, but there's a, I think famous musical version of Don Quixote called the man of La Mancha where Dulcinea is one of the characters in it, but that she would not have actually, she's not actually in um, the book proper. So he's a fool. He's a lovable fool. Sure. But I don't know if he is. Is he not lovable? No, he's lovable for sure. Um, But you don't know if he's a fool, but if he thinks he's a knight and he's gone, he's gone bazonkers. But do you not? um, So there's a, um, I guess we'll move into the translation part. Um, and the history of this book often, again, makes it seem like a more serious book than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And so, and even the interpretation of Man of La Mancha is that he is a knight and he is fighting for noble things. He just happens to be slightly delusional. Mm. Um, is that, Graham, is that like a thing that you're familiar with in thinking of this book? The, There's like a heroic The thing that I was familiar with is that he's fighting for noble things, but he's now like living in a time where fighting for noble things isn't needed anymore. That's fair. That makes him sound like a kind of tragic figure, but he doesn't see himself that way. Yeah. That's what makes him, makes it tragic. Right. But that's hold on to that thought. Okay. Um, any, any other, um, thoughts AJ before jumping on with getting into how this has been translated before? Do you have some like sense of what the book is about or yeah i think yeah. i'm on board okay. i was also wondering if this was the you know sancho and and the don were the basis for samwise and for oh, maybe but i don't see any rosinante in there i don't think the ring counts do they have a maybe Gollum? is there no they don't have a no there's no horse nah, that's not like really important uh, yeah i don't think i don't think it is um plus frodo's not a fool frodo's not a fool and okay. he he liked to draw from the norse i think more than more than this mm-hmm. but uh you're kind of doing the work that um, Susan Weisbauer does of trying to connect that theme of a journey. And so that idea is interpreted by many authors. So where is he going? If it's a journey, Uh, does he have like a, we must get to the so-and-so. Nope. He's wandering to neither of them. He's just looking for, looking for things to do like a knight. He wants to right wrongs. He wants to right wrongs, which is a story. We'll get to in a little bit. That's a great quality to have. (laughs) That's funny. Cause I think at the end of, the I just read a summary of the, all the King Arthur literature. I don't know how accurate it was to the originals, but at the end, there are so many knights wandering around looking for adventures that eventually they just kind of solve everything. Yes. And so there's a, just a bunch of knights sort of just riding around like, nothing to do. <laughs> no more adventures. No more, adve- no more ladies are in trouble. They've all been saved. I like it. Um, so this leads us into, um, if, if you're going to read this book which you should um i'm reading the penguin classics version which is great it's translated by john rutherford um susan weisbauer recommends the translation by edith grossman it's a 2003 translation but she does make the point that edith grossman's is more of a an interpretation uh she calls it a collaboration between himself edith grossman and uh oh no sorry smollett wait hold on edith grossman and tobias smollett's translations are recommended it's Smollett's that is closer to a collaboration between himself and Cervantes to produce the popular novel. So, um, I, um, 
but with John Rutherford's, I'll just read a little bit from his to kind of get to the point. Um, most people in, in translating this book have focused on the like important literary side of the book. Again, calling it the greatest novel means that there must be some seriousness to this. Um, this is best seen through a f- the title that is given to Don Quixote. Are you, is this a, I don't know what it is. Um, is it? in man of La Mancha, there's a, there's a song to it. It's, uh, the night of the woeful countenance night uh-huh. of the woeful countenance. Um, if to give someone that name, like describe the person who, who give, who receives the name night of the woeful countenance, someone who, de- who doesn't have any sort of hope in the future. Sure. Right. So, so he's, despair, maybe? so he has, he has a despairing or, um, when you, yeah, when you see him, he's, he's feeling bad. He's feeling bad. He's just a big grump. Sure. And for someone to think up the phrase night of the woeful countenance, like what kind of person would come up with that title? Is that a, yeah. Who, who would you think would give Don Quixote that title given it's kind of like an over the top kind of flower language, right? Is it a character in the book or you asked about the author, the character in the book describe what that character would be like to, again, when's the last time you used woeful and countenance? Do you know what I mean? So it would be someone noble. Sure. Then maybe another knight mm-hmm. would give him that title. And someone familiar with his character. Sure. Um, I feel like it might have been Sancho Panza. Yeah, so in fact, it comes from Sancho Panza. The point that... Oh, point Hindenburg. It's not quiz show. The donkey quiz show was our only quiz show. Um, mm-hmm. John Rutherford's point is that Sancho Panza, an illiterate peasant fellow, would not use the word woeful countenance. Mm-hmm. Um, in the original Spanish, it's El Caballero de la Triste Figura. It's um, El Caballero <laughs> is the knight. De la of the Triste is sad. Figura is figure. Um so the knight of the sad figure is like the direct translation of that. Um, but what, and um, this phrase has been translated a number of ways, knight of the rueful countenance, sorrowful figure, sad countenance, um, and a few others here. The point Rutherford is making is that those miss the point of why Sancho Panza gives this name to Don Quixote in the first place. So he's, so would Sancho see him as like, he's rich and he's sad and he doesn't have anything to do. And he's just like, and he thinks he's a hero. You're making it sound like a sad version, right? Yeah. Well, let me read you. This is uh, chapter 19. Um, uh, in chapter 19, uh, Sancho and Don Quixote are walking along. They see these figures in dressed in white uh, walking along, carrying um, a dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Quixote looks at that and realizes quote unquote, realizes that they're ghosts. And so to (laughs) save Sancho Panza, he goes and he fights the ghosts. Um, And uh, there's just like two dudes carrying a body. It's like eight dudes and it's a bunch of priests. Mm. um, And they're literally carrying a body from one town to the like graveyard where Mm -hmm. it's supposed to go. If they're in robes, I can see how he thought they were ghosts. You sure. It's definitely the most logical thing. White sheets are pretty common ghost (laughs) garb. Yep. You're not wrong about that. Um, And ghosts look like. So <laughs> you're not white sheet, two eye holes. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. I saw that movie. Isn't that? Yeah. Ghost story. Um, so, um, Sancho Panza is watching the scene as Don Quixote, Don Quixote beats up on a bunch of unarmed priests. <laughs> um, Sancho was watching it all amazed at his master's courage and saying to himself, it's true. This master of mine is just as brave and strong as he says he is. Uh, which I think is a tongue in cheek reference. Uh, cause he's beaten up a bunch. Of cause he's beaten up a bunch of like probably old priest dudes. Well, the, priests are like i don't want to deal with this so they abandon the body one priest uh has his leg broken by Aww. don quixote 
And so then starts answering questions um, to Don Quixote. Um, they talk back and forth for a while. Uh, the priest eventually tells Don Quixote where he's from and where he's going. Um, and then Sancho Panza is just kind of looking at Don Quixote. And then this happens. This is a quote from Sancho Panza. If by any chance those gentlemen want to know the name of the valiant adventurer that did this to them, you can tell them he's the famous Don Quixote de la Mancha, also known as the Knight of the Sorry Face. That's how Rutherford translates that phrase, Mm. the Knight of the Sorry Face. The Bachelor of Arts, the priest, started riding away slowly, and Don Quixote asked Sancho why he'd called him the Knight of the Sorry Face, and and at that moment in particular, why did he name him that? All right, I'll tell you, replied Sancho. I was just looking at you by the light of the poor bloke's torch. And the truth is that at this moment, you're the sorriest sight I've ever clapped eyes on. <laughs> it must be because of being tired after your fight or else losing all those teeth. <laughs> so literally like the priest is holding so a torch. It's a joke. It's, a, it's 100% a joke, but. Oh, so it's not this like tragic romantic name of the knight that like. It's um, in it's, the story. He's literally, he's it's just. He looks ugly because he got his teeth bashed out i think it's the story before where and a bunch Sasha's of shep- making fun of him yes a bunch of um shepherds threw rocks at him and knocked out his teeth <laughs> and he's just looking like real ghastly in the in the light of the fire and so the night of the sorry face because he looks real gross um, that's pretty awesome it is great and this is um rutherford's comment translators have decided that this am- oh um i didn't read this I'll, maybe i'll read this in a second sancho panza gives his reason um I just read that to you, but Don Quixote disregards Sancho's explanation and accepts his new title as an appropriately lofty expression of his noble suffering, mm. a heroic epithet rooted in the long and glorious tradition of the knights errant of olden days. Graham, your interpretation, maybe mm-hmm. translators have decided that this ambiguity is untranslatable and have suppressed the joke. And that's where we get into ill favored mm. face, rueful countenance. It misses the point of that's not how a peasant would have talked. It's not the English equivalent of what a peasant would have said. And also it misses the whole point of, the joke that's being made right there. So Sancho's is that like, he's all ugo. Yeah. Yes, that he's an ugo. So Sancho's making fun of him, fun of him. But so this is kind of interesting because it seems like Don Quixote is someone who is taking in all this stuff of his life, of the world, these stories, Sancho. But he, the the sort of the prism that he sort of filters it through, like his own internal filter, already has like a predetermined outflow yes like it's going to be a romantic story of knighthood regardless of what happens yes and when he sees regular old life happening a bunch of dudes carrying a body it's this becomes a it becomes a a story of high drama and and ghosts even though it's not true right that's not what even when his servant is insulting him and saying dude dude your teeth you're looking real ugly ugly, 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 ugly. he's like yes the knight of woe will count and he takes it as a title and he um he'll continue using it not realizing that it's his <laughs> squire making fun of him the entire time. Um, but that's where I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Sorry face is a good translation. I like the that. note of the sorry face. Um, it's a pretty sorry looking face. Cause I'm not sure Cervantes's view in some sense, this is where me reading the second part will be helpful. Cause that's where I think it, that's where I'm told it gets more serious or um, it's the end of the book. You know what I mean? That's where they are interpreting Don Quixote's life. In the moment, he's made fun of by essentially everyone that he comes across. Um, again, whether they're below him in terms of station. Again, as Hidalgo, he he does have some like level of respect that he's kind of due. And he doesn't get that from anyone because he's a crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just along the lines of translation, because this one is also funny. This is from the, I mean, it's from the book, but it's quoted in the introduction. Um, the character's name is Sanson. 
Sanson embraced, so this is how Rutherford translates it. Sanson embraced Don Quixote and begged to be sent news of his fortunes, both good and bad, to rejoice at the latter or grieve over the former as the laws of friendship required. Don Quixote promised to do so. What's the joke in that? I'll read it again. Yeah, one more time. Sanson embraced Don Quixote and begged to be sent news of his fortunes, both good and bad, to rejoice at the latter or grieve over the former as the laws of friendship required. Don Quixote promised to do so. What's the what's the joke? Because he's saying he's like, if you tell me that you had good fortune, I can be upset about it. Exactly. So it's you know, and the book is full of these like little those witticisms. That if are, you don't, if you're not paying attention, yes, um, it it just sails on by. So is everybody? It's just everybody dunking on Don Quixote and he doesn't realize it. <laughs> yes, which is, it makes it even better. <laughs> but let me again. But in a weird way, oh man, poor guy. Kind okay, but this is how other people. Does he? Okay, is he? Does he have any sort of cruelty to him? Like obviously, beating up the priest is not good. But he's doing it thinking, like, is he a lovable? I find him. Or do you look at him and you're just like, oh, buddy. Uh, I mean, it's both, right? Like, he literally, his mind is melted. Like, mm-hmm. he can't help it in some sense. Hmm. Um, so there's a pity aspect there. But also, he's having the time of his life. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's actually fighting ghosts and fighting giants. And even when reality faces him, he doesn't deal with that. Um, I'll get to that in a second, just to finish out on this part of this one quote. So, you know, there's this little witticism in there about rejoicing at the bad and being sad about the good that happens to Don Quixote. One of the 20th century translators shies away and writes Samson. So changes the name from a Spanish name to an anglicized name. Samson embraced the knight and begged him to let him know what his luck might be so that he might either rejoice or mourn as the laws of friendship required. So the joke is totally um, erased. Another recent translator also refuses the fence and says, then Samson gave our knight a farewell embrace, begging him as the laws of friendship required to send news of his luck, whether good or bad. So the one could be rejoiced in and the other be grieved over. Mm. So it's totally a joke, totally missing the joke in that one. The joke has totally disappeared at that point. Um, And that's where I wonder what translation you had started with AJ. Cause uh, again, there are stilted translations that are just making what should be, a weekly comedy serial into uh, something, something it's not just a really boring story about a crazy guy who thinks he's a knight. Right. Yeah. I wonder. So your, so your, your thesis is, or this guy's thesis, the beginning is of this book is that Don Quixote for some reason achieved a status of being highbrow literature and was translated as such. But in reality it has, it, 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 it's sort it's of missing, missing the jokes. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is literally a show about nothing. Um, I'll get to, Yeah. Um, just the other funny thing from this introduction, um, to make his point, Rutherford has to quote an article called Don Quixote as a funny book that's (laughs) in his footnotes. And I thought that was just a, well, it's kind of like the same thing I had with Moby Dick. When I was going into Moby Dick, I thought it was going to be this book of like high drama and such pathos about hunting the whale. And I did not realize that, well, it was sort of five books in one and four of them were hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's such a ton of nonsense in there that I just love. Like alas, Flask was a butterless man. Like, (laughs) First in, last out. Last in, first out. Never got butter. But I guess, but Moby Dick has both, because it's also serious at certain points too. You're just saying there are, are moments of humor that are There missed. are a ton are there, of jokes yeah, in there. Is, is there any seriousness in Don Quixote? Uh, I think so. You, um, you're having me jump around. This Sorry. is good. No, keep me on my toes. Um, well, I don't know what to, you tell me if this is humorous or not. Um, so part of this maybe is actually a, um, an episode about why you should write notes in your books. So I, this is one of the few times I like actually made margin notes in here. And so it's just funny to watch the things that I found fascinating four years ago when I was actually trying to read through mm-hmm. this book. Um, and I also kind of hate it because I keep doing this thing where I'm like, um, 
I identify with this part of Don Quixote or like I get this thing from Sancho Panza or uh, at the end of this chapter, which is the windmill chapter. Uh, you know, this makes me think, oh, I'm not going to read that. Sorry. It like actually made me think of specific people of like uh, when faced with evidence, they ignore it. And then, um, yeah, anyway, I'll, um, I'll read the part. So you all have heard this, the windmill. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about it just a second ago. The part of it that, Graham, I think was your question whether something serious happens. Is that how you phrased it? Yeah. Well, I mean, like tilting at windmills has also become this. I don't know. There, there just seems to be like an interpretive framework around Don Quixote that sounds like it may be not justified. But I, I, I don't know enough about it to have a, a take on that. When you say tilting at windmills, what does that phrase? Well, usually it's like people, the way that I've uh, sort of had people talk or uh, when I, when people say that is like, uh, you know, the lost cause and getting on your horse one last time to go after that one last battle. Right. And it's always struck me strange because it's like, well, he's, but the windmills, it's like not even real. Right. That's, that's, I think that may be the context I've heard it in where. Tilting at windmills means they're fighting against something that doesn't exist yeah. or yes. an imaginary foe. Yeah. That's right. mm-hmm. just, just Googling it. Tilting at windmills typically means attacking imaginary enemies, mm-hmm. which is the literal thing that happens. I think the question is whether that is romantic or not. Is it romantic or foolish? I mm-hmm. guess it's maybe the way to, um, I, I'd put that solidly in foolish. Sure. Cause it, in the literal sense, he's attacking a windmill uh, again, but the, but he wants to live in this idealized world. Yes. And, do you and he's just that? sort of walking around in like the real the regular world and everyone's just like, bah, stop yes. being a blah, you're exactly doofus, stop smacking me, I'm not a ghost. Yeah. And uh, I think it's at a... T- to me, that so that's where I wonder if the tragedy's coming in. It's kind of like a funny King Lear, you know? Oh. It's like like the, an aging person who's lost his marbles. The right? man the man himself is tragic. Yeah. I don't know if he is, though. He Again, he is living out... His dreams? Li- <laughs> yeah, he is. He's living out a life he's happy with and none of the reality of the situation gets through to him. Like, is he the like realization of the live your, live your truth or live, you know what I mean? Like he's living his best life. Yeah. It just happens <laughs> not to be in conformity to reality. Uh, well, it's the ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. It's, it's taking the pill and going back in the matrix. Sure. Um, Cause it all tastes like chicken, right? Is that, I thought it was when he's eating the steak. Is that what that's from? Yeah. The, I don't remember. Oh, Something about remember. chicken. Yeah. Um, so, Again, so the ending of the windmill story, you know, I made fun of people who get serious messages out of this, but I mean, this is a thing that like <laughs> apparently very much was impactful to me four years ago. So again, uh, Don Quixote sees a windmill. He attacks it. He um, gets himself busted up uh, because uh, to quote the book, they were definitely windmills. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that is an actual quote. Thank you, John Rutherford. Um, so, you know, Don Quixote gets beaten up and then for God's sake, said Sancho, didn't I tell you to be careful what you were doing? Didn't I tell you they were only windmills and only someone with windmills on the brain could have failed to see that. Not at all. Friend Sancho replied, Don Quixote affairs of war, even more than others are subject to continual change. All the more so as I believe indeed, I am certain uh, that the same sage Freston who stole my library and my books (laughs) has just turned these giants into windmills to deprive me of the glory of my victory such is the enmity he feels for me, but in the end, his evil arts will avail him little against the might of my sword. God's will be done, replied Sancho Panza. I wonder. I wonder if the translation there was instead of windmills on the brain, like windmill brains. Yeah, maybe. I wonder. 
that, again, that's where uh, if I were better at uh, Spanish, I would be able to just read you directly from the Spanish. Um, Only a man with windmill brains would be told in windmills. <laughs> um, and there's um, there's a lot, again, um, you know, translation is the thing I find interesting. This is one of the first essays that uh, the preface to this book was one of the first introductions to that idea of the translator has a view on the book and that view on the book will determine the work that they produce, right? It's not just applying a dictionary to a work in another language. It's knowing the book deeply enough to write this well. Um, the John Rutherford's PhD, I believe is in some version of, I forget the exact name, but it's essentially like Spanish culture, like Spanish middle age culture. Like this is the time he mm-hmm. studies, um, and has deep respect for. Um, okay. We've gone through Cervantes. We've talked about kind of an intro. We talked about Night of the Woeful, Woeful Countenance. I think that might've been all the stuff I really wanted to say since we have a little bit of extra time. Um, there are all these things throughout the book that, um, again, I appreciate Rutherford keeping in. Um, the opening line in a village in La Mancha, the name of which I cannot quite recall. There lived not long ago, one of those uh, country gentlemen or Hidalgo's who uh, keep a lance in Iraq. He goes through, he makes fun of this like class of people. Um, and then they have this whole thing about not knowing what Don Quixote's real name is. Um, his surname said to have been Quijada or Quesada. Um, Quijada is a, um, I guess a jawbone, um, in Quesada is cheesecake. Um, so like just from the very beginning, it's like not taking the story seriously at all. Um, no one can remember jawbone cheesecake and it doesn't Unclear. matter. And I, I had meant to say earlier the, the, um, premise of the book, there's a prologue to it where Cervantes presents Don Quixote as an actual figure. Um, so it's him and a buddy talking about this real person, Don Quixote. They have to tell this story. He's this famous knight. Um, this is the a quote from the friend. Um, he's the light and mirror of all knight errantry. Um, and that's the, that's how the book is set up. So that's why, again, I have trouble saying whether is Don Quixote tragic or is he actually some realization of the ideal of a knight? Um, sure. He's out of time and sure. Um, he's delusional, but he also, he's genuinely a kind person. He genuinely, his interactions with women in particular, he's just so kind and treats them as ladies. Um, and they, you know, they often don't know what to do about it, but he and is, it's even women that mm, don't, deserve don't deserve it. If it, I remember, right? it's, you know, like hag women washing clothes yep. and who we call, uh, they have lost their beauty. They are not mm-hmm. anything to look but, at anymore. But to him, they're queens or, yeah. or princesses. And, so do you yeah. think there's something about like that kind of life of virtue needs to have some kind of detachment from reality? Like you kind of, so one of the things, and this is something that I talk about when we, in 10th grade, when we talk about knights is that knighthood tends to look at the world symbolically, kind of, especially when it comes to other people. Sure. So you're not dealing with particular woman with a particular, like, life. You're dealing with well, womanhood. Yes. Womanhood embodied in the examples. Sure. So you have a disposition that you're supposed to have to womanhood. You treat them like Mary herself. And then every time that you come across a noble woman... Um, you, you take up that disposition and, and, and comport. And so, um, there's kind of this like disambiguation with the world that knighthood has where you're treating things as symbolic representations of, of, of a, of a moral way of living. And so it sounds like the book's sort of saying like, here's somebody that is buying into that. Sure. And living whole that hog, life yeah, sure. and is living this life, seeing everything as a disembodied 
di- um, uh, moral landscape, and then you've got Sancho is just like, oh my goodness. As a realist, right? As a realist, he's walking around being like, dude, is this a windmill? Yeah. And I guess the open question is like, who is that? Like, who's the happier person, or who's the, you know, is is um, Don Quixote wrong for living? He's clearly not in reality, but right. you're like you said, he's. He's still. A, it sounds like he's still a force of good, if not yes. only a force well, of maybe. But this is other the, than breaking the legs of, of priests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this is. But that's that's that. And that's the flip side of it right. is that he's somebody that you know is going to get is going to get the particulars wrong. Sure. But this is the ultra classic sci-fi question: Is it better to live in absolute happiness and bliss, or to live in reality? Right. It's the it's the Matrix question. It's the question of everyone who has like an AI virtual reality option, or they can you know, be plunked into some virtual world that makes them happier. I I mean, if wisdom is, I, I had to talk with my kids, if wisdom is knowing the world for what it is mm-hmm. in all its truest forms, then, and wisdom is one of those things that leads to happiness, then this, I, I don't know if a road of ignorance can be a road to happiness, right? Maybe, maybe. It, it will, this road will inevitably lead him to sorrows, right? I mean, maybe... Maybe not sorrows he even realizes, but he's had all his teeth knocked out. Sure. Right? When he could be a noble man living and reading and running his property, he is missing out on that good life to go and run himself into windmills and break his bones. Sure. I do think part of the... It's also saying that that life of leisure led to this. Mm. That because he had nothing to do with his Mm -hmm. time and read a bunch of books, he became deluded. Maybe this book is just an invective against bad literature. (laughs) It could be. Maybe. Do you think there's something to it where... It's talking about these two sides of a personality, uh, two sides of viewing a situation. Uh, you've got the Sancho realistic side, and then you've got the sort of romanticized, dis- disembodied, um, you know, seeing something as a symbolic gesture. Um, so, you know, like if you watch a sports movie, like winning the high school football game is a, is sort of seen a, you know, it's a, it's a symbol of your life. And what kind of man do you want to be when you grow up and you show it on that field versus, oh, we were, you know, now we're, Put the ball in now, the end we're zone. now we're five and two right. and, you know, we're going to go, you know, it's just like, there's the reality of it. And then there's the, 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 um, the romanticized story of it. And it just sort of seems like it, the story is dealing with both sides of those. This of is, this coin. is why I had so much trouble with sports movies. I was right. like, it's, it's just ball. One game. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's touched it. You won the. You still have to go to college after this. You still have <laughs> yeah. to go to your job. Like you won the championship. Still got to pay taxes. Yeah, taxes are coming for you, but there are windmills, depressing. bro. Like <laughs> I feel like I'm the windmills guy. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if if it's Sancho. if it's playing off those two sort of views of or if, if saying both of those things are needed on the journey. I don't know. Maybe, but also, I think it's just supposed to be an enjoyable yeah, yeah. series of stories that are very funny. Again, like th- this book. Um, Almost, it feels like, um, you know, story time before you go to bed. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what do Don Quixote and what kind of crazy hijinks do they get in today? And it just continues that over and over. And there are moments where, again, I find the windmill scene fascinating for the fact that at the end, Don Quixote sees the windmills, but tells himself a story that they're actually giants. Like, he has a moment of clarity, but his narrative is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so he stays in his narrative. He chooses the narrative over the facts. I think that's like an interesting insight. I don't think, you know, is that like, uh, is that just um, me finding a lesson? Again, uh, is, does that have anything to do with the book? Is what I'm no. That's to say. kind. Of, that's sort of my point. Is yeah. he sees he sees reality. He he sticks with the narrative, right? And um, and then he's got his buddy that sees reality and sticks with reality. And um, 
Um, which just the fact that we know that human beings do that. Like you can see what's real, but you then you sort of like Believe slip back into yes. the. Um, yeah. Um, actually, this. Do you listen to the Eric Weinstein podcast mm-hmm. where he re- he read that essay about the person who was witnessing the beginnings of the Holocaust and was trying to write to convince yes. people. So it, it's, I mean, that's sort of, this is a dark turn to this right. conversation, but he sort of makes reference to that psychological thing that people have where you can see reality for what it is, but the reality of it is too hard, so you slip back into the narrative. Is there any sort of line in Don Quixote where when Don Quixote realizes that they're actually just windmills and uh, he, he wants to live in the nightly realm... Um, the the imaginary realm, and so he slips into it. Yeah, I again, I need to actually read the like second half of this book. My understanding is that's similar to what happens toward the end of the book. Mm-hmm. He has a um, there's a person who dresses up as a different knight to chase after Don Quixote. <laughs> Eventually, it's a it's a, it's a superhero movie, right? No, um, so uh, chases after Don Quixote, defeats him in combat. Um, Don Quixote is then ordered by the knight that beats him to go home. Um, and that in that starts the decline of Don Quixote. Mm. Um, so I wonder, is it just like a local townsperson that was like, all right, it's a, someone from college. Put an end to this. I forget where the college is. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm sure it's not in La Mancha. La Mancha is like middle of nowhere in the context of this scholars ruining everything. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I feel that way. Um, but again, I, I, I think it's a book that, um, is not for all of that. It's not for finding the interpretive frame for the book. It, it is a book of enjoyable stories. And I think that's, why I'm trying to like talk about Cervantes is like just a dude. Like again, these feel like stories that any father could come up with and talking to their son or daughter for, again, before bed at night. Um, and again, that's well, part of the old that night. you can over intellectualize. Thank you. Good for you. <laughs> but in the same way that, uh, yep. Uh, yeah. I was just to, about to say like uh, what Thomas, what I really think this is about is it's, it's about technology. Yeah, sure, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> he was depending on the old technology. He does technology have a, a lens. He does have a yeah. yeah, and that technology fails, fails him, him yeah. and then the, the but the new technology is found within. It's where he Ooh, says he does actually have a helmet that fails him. Is that oh maybe this is oh, let's oh do a I just wanted to hearken it back no, to your does he have a your Beowulf name? podcast. He has a sword that he finds to, on the wall. That, is it yeah, named Graham? Maybe uh, you want to scream. How did you know? Sword named Graham. I actually thought about having a sword named or sword made and then naming it Graham after you like. Best friend at my side. This is good. Anyway, it's uh, this book is Keep great close. and funny, and y'all are having a weird side conversation about naming swords. Um, I'll uh, I'll just again, I just all I want to do is read quotes from this book all the time. Um, and this is I'll this makes no sense, but I'll wrap up with the prologue. So figure that one out. Um, the two friends are going back and forth about how to write a book and how to write a book that's good and that will sell a lot. And the friend is saying like, just put in a lot of Latin phrases. Like people will think it's like a really smart book. And then they just have these like random Latin phrases in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about how to like, how to cite stuff in the book. And so this, they go as for providing in notes, you can easily do it like this. If you include a giant in your book, make him Goliath. And this alone, which will hardly be any trouble for you, will give you a splendid in note because you will be able to say, the giant Goliath or Goliath was a Philistine whom the shepherd David slew with a stone from his sling in the vale of the uh, Terebinth, according to what is narrated in the book of Kings in the chapter where you'll find it written <laughs> in anyway. the chapter. Well, you're, <laughs> uh, Oh, it actually goes on even further from there. Oh, does uh, it really? Anyway, so you're talking about how to be, how like, to appear like you're very smart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, and, wait, and this is the original author. Yes. This is, this is Cervantes's prologue to the book. Again, the, um, overarching story is that, Don Quixote was a real person in the context of the book. Right, he right, he right, wasn't right. actually. And yeah. it's Cervantes trying to figure out like, how can I be worthy to write this book when I'm such a simpleton? And the friend's like, just 
act the part like find some random latin phrases and put it in no one's gonna look it up like just say whatever you want to it reminds me a lot of the princess bride which i read this summer yeah because the you it's have you guys read it no Mm -mm. the actual story is weird because the author talks about what he's doing is abridging this old famous italian novel and he like a bridge. He remembers it from when he was a kid and all this high adventure. And then he goes back to read it and half of it is politics and the other half is like trade stuff. And he's like, this is all nonsense. I yeah. want the fun. And so he he abridges it and then writes this novel. And so you get these asides from the author in between when he's doing the publishing process and trying to figure out all these things and give it to his kids and have it edited. It's all made up. He right. just wrote the novel and wrote himself into it in, in the editing process. It's kind of the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's a delight, by the That's way. Good. If you're I, looking for something to read to kids and have them have a, good, a lot of fun, do voices with Princess Bride. I like that. It's great. Um, yeah, I guess we can. Oh, the. Uh, I guess at some point one of you was asking about whether there are things that connect all the stories to each other. In the prologue, he makes reference again to these like goofy Latin phrases that don't actually mean anything. Cervantes actually uses those in the in the story. Then <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like he does it. Yes, so That's like great. it's presented as like this conversation with his friend, and then he actually takes the advice. Do you get an end note? Uh, uh, from the translator, not from, uh, that's actually a good point. I'm so sorry. Um, but like, I believe there is a giant named Goliath, like all that stuff actually happens in the story. And it's just, it's just, that's delightful. Anyway, I, I, again, for this being like the first novel, I thought it would be like a bore and a slog and it's actually just a delightful and hilarious read. Mm -hmm. It's designed. You can pick up and read any chapter on its own. You don't have to like start from the beginning if you don't want to. Um, if you know, Sancho Panza is a realist and Don Quixote is kind of crazy. You can understand every one of the stories that happens. So anyway, it's, it's a, it's a treat. Um, at some point when I read like, you know, the second half of this book, I will come back and talk about all the serious stuff. But for right now, it's just like, it's, it's the Netflix of classics. So please. Yeah. yeah it's great. Cool. So check it out. Yeah, that's wonderful. awesome. That's all I got. Well, thanks Thomas. I realize I have a copy of it in my classroom. Maybe I'll bring you, it home. You should. Because, yeah. yeah. Is that it a good, fun. you know who translated? I have no idea. Yeah. It's the old, the green-spined Veritas version. It's probably horrible, right? Yeah. It's probably super boring. That's my guess. Um, I think that's the one I wrote. Red. So this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can patronize us on Patreon by going to patreon.com backslash classicalstuff. And therein you can find uh, some things if, to subscribe to, help us out with producing this podcast. And there's some fun rewards that we've got going on in there uh, for subscribers. You can find us on the Twits at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L, stuff, and... Um, you can find all of our episodes on classicalstuff.net. And that, so thanks for listening. This is the guys signing off, Graham, AJ, and Thomas saying goodbye. See ya. Bye.